It is time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. And, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to do things a little bit different here in the Cultural Hall. Being completely candid, we do these episodes of Articles of News where we talk, talk a lot about uh, various articles. And we don't get the opportunity to go in depth uh, as well as we'd like in a lot of these cases. And so um, for this particular episode, we're going into just one specific issue. We have talked about it a bunch in what we call the Temple Ticker. So if you want to find those old episodes of the Cultural Hall, that's where we talk specifically about uh, the temples of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But we talk about all the temples everywhere. This episode will be specifically about, as I remember it being called, the Heber Valley Temple, and our guest is Dustin Graybaugh. Thanks for being here, Dustin. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, am I right? Heber Valley, is that what it was named? Yeah, that's, to my knowledge, Heber Valley Temple is what we're we're working with. And uh, to the point that you are comfortable, tell people your, I've given them your first and last name so people can look it yeah. up, the credentials yeah. uh, of of why I'm talking to you and not somebody else. So um, my name is Dustin Graybaugh. You heard that part, but um, I'm the county manager for Wasatch County. So I'm an appointed official. I'm the appointed executive of the county. Um, the planning staff works for me and um, we're, we've been intimately involved in this project for a little over a year now. Um, my background is I have a undergraduate and a master's of public administration. I worked for Provo City for six years prior to coming to Wasatch County. I've been the county manager here for about two and a half years now. Okay, so we should hate you is what I'm is what I'm hearing. I am the chief unelected bureaucrat. So that's that's my role. So. Okay. Okay. So uh so tell people if they are just coming to this particular episode and saying, Oh, this is it. Okay, I'm here. What what was the issue with the Heber Valley Temple? General conference, it happens, you know, President Nelson, hey, the uh, temple in one of 20 places or 12 places. I can't remember which session it was, but Heber Valley is one of them. And then what, where did it all go askew? Yeah. So um, I don't know if askew is the way I'd, I'd, I'd frame it, but um, from that time, so I, I think that was in the fall of 2021 is when it was, uh, no, sorry, fall of 2020 was when it was announced. And then um, in 2021, no, I'm getting this all now wrong. you're making sure the dates are all wrong. Yeah, I I'm getting the dates wrong. So, so it was 20, 21 was when it was announced. 22 is when they announced the location. Um, I found out about the location just a couple of days before it was publicly announced. How and, do they do that? How does the church do that? Like, hey, we own this land and there are probably going to be some people talking about it. And here's a press release. Or is it like we're having a meeting and you and the mayor and all this, we're going to do this. Yeah, so I think it, it probably varies based on the jurisdictions and, and things like that. One of our county council members had been reached out to by a representative of the church and then wanted to meet with me um, since I'm over the development process at the county. So we had a phone call on that Friday and then um, a follow-up phone call on the, on the following Monday when the official announcement was made. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think they had purchased the property from a private landowner and I know that they had been in discussions with some other landowners at some other potential sites, but they selected this one. This one happened to be within the county's jurisdiction. So it's actually outside of Heber City. That's why they came to me as the county manager. Okay. And uh, and you're like, okay, great. I like it. I like a temple. Sure, why not? I You have to sort of be impartial so long as things are zoned accordingly. It, it, I, as I understand it, and this is things that I've learned as we've talked about these various controversies in in these t cities and townships, is that if if it's legal, you can't just be like, no thanks, go somewhere yeah. else. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people don't uh, really appreciate that. And that's something that I think some of the people who raised concerns didn't appreciate is that as land use authorities like the county, we set the rules that people have to follow. But when they come in and say, hey, this is how we follow the rules, we don't get to say, oh, well, you followed the rules, but we don't let want you to do it anyways, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that instead, we have to just make sure that if they follow the rules, they have a right to use use those land use rules. And really, we're just making verifying that they are complying to those standards. That was part of the discussion with this project because there it's it's unique for our county, you know. Um we're we're a pretty rural community. There's not a building quite this high, I think, in the Heber Valley. Um, you know, there are some big buildings in other places. Um, but given given the unique attributes of it, um, that's why we kind of have gone through a, a pretty relatively long process, you know, uh relative to some projects um, that we've made sure we've gone through due diligence, gone through the proper approvals and got to where we are to, to today. So when you say the size of the project, give people an idea of, of I, I guess, like what's the largest building free uh, what is going to be constructed and and then, you know, in comparison, what are we looking yeah, at? Yeah, so, so there are some big hotels kind of up towards the Park City area of the county. Park City's not in Wasatch County, but there are some big hotels adjacent to Park City that are, are pretty big and there are big kind of uh shorter buildings around you know we have we have a, a large event center we have large uh recreation center and some other uh public venues like zermatt resort and homestead and things like that but this building is kind of all in all in one big mass you know so it's it's 210 feet tall it's 88,000 square feet and the building that we were in last night when we had a council meeting was about 30,000 square feet mm. you know so that that's we had a we have a senior center and a library in that thirty thousand square foot. Just going to give you a little sense, and uh, and and met with controversy, which you know this isn't the only one, but this and and probably as as of this recording in uh, late twenty twenty three, this and the Cody Wyoming Temple certainly the ones that have taken the highlight of not here, not in my place, not in this, you know, with the only most recent one, maybe the Tooele Valley Temple and that subsequent moving of that temple. What's what's the big deal? Why can't Heber just get on board? You know, I think it's, it's very common whenever there is like a big project of any kind that neighbors get concerned about those projects, you know, mm -hmm. back and, and someone at the meeting last night pointed out all of the different times that there had been public uproar over some type of change. Um, for temples in particular, there's a lot of concern around, you know, what's it going to do to traffic? What's it going to do to property values? Um, does it, does it, and I think in this case, it was, does it match the character of the rural community? You know, a lot of people, they consider Heber the back country, right? They, they come to get away from the Wasatch Front and they're here for the rural open space. And, you know, we have, we have dark skies and, you know, it's a beautiful valley. And to some of them, that means a temple impedes on what they expected to be able to get out of their experience here. Well, and to some people, but there also actually is a definition of like what a dark sky is as a classification and what it isn't. Are you uh, competent to be able to kind of define what that is? Yeah. So um, the there is a, a group called the International Dark Sky Alliance. What they do is they set voluntary standards for communities to be able to adopt to try and do best practices when it comes to um, protecting the night sky. And the idea is that um, like other forms of pollution, light can be considered pollution in that it affects your ability to enjoy the night sky. It has impacts on wildlife and other things like that. 
And so all of these standards are set to try and minimize the amount of light that is put out by buildings so that um, you can enjoy astronomy, you know, that you don't interfere with uh, birds and other wildlife. And, and so Wasatch County, through this process, actually made changes to our dark sky code, trying to, I think, be a little bit more progressive in how we had handled them compared to where we started. Which is difficult and why people push against it is because uh, different than maybe other types of, of pollution. I don't know. I, I guess I hadn't th thought through that statement. But like once you allow a light, what are you, you, you turning the lights off? Are you, you know, this, this very much that argument of the nose in the, or the camel's nose in the tent really does feel like, well, listen, if it's, if the light is polluting the sky at this point, we're not going to get a dark sky back. Well, I think open it up too much. So, so through this process, um, so back in 2021, Heber city adopted new dark sky standards and Wasatch County for 20 years has had a dark sky regulation that restricted the direction of light. We said you could, you had to point light downwards, but that was the only restriction we had. Modern restrictions have things about like how bright it can be, how often you can, or what the hours of operation of those lights are, what color the light is even. Um, those were all things that we didn't really consider and ones that we were talking about when Heber City made their change. And then when the church came through and said, hey, we'd like to request a change to your code, um, and that's when we kind of, we conducted our own analysis. We hired our own consultant and dark sky pollution is actually one of the forms of pollution that's easily reversible, right? You mm. can turn a light off. It's hard to go up and capture pollution, you know, and say like, oh, here it is. And now I've turned it off. Um, so that is, is possible with dark sky regulations. What the debate at the time, so this is early 2023, um, we, we had, you know, engage this consultant. We're trying to find out what are the right standards for our community. And there are some that have very strict standards, some that have no standards at all. And it's actually probably most common to have no dark sky standards. So while the county engaged this consultant, we, we kind of picked what I would call some kind of middle of the road approach in that we adopted a lot of much better standards than what we had before. We didn't adopt the most conservative standards. And, um, you know, our consultant would tell you that. And, um, I think that was some of the concern that some of the constituents had. They felt like we should have gone further. We should have had more more uh, restrictive dark sky standards. But the county council decided they wanted to strike a balance of of having better standards, but not the most restrictive. And then, uh, and so as far as the board goes, and maybe this is a preemptive part of this conversation, but presumably because a certain percentage of the, the state of Utah are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, statistically, one would go, well, then a certain percentage of that board certainly is as well. They're probably voting party lines. We make covenants that say you're going to not stop the work. So, of course, you're going to vote a, a particular way. All of those sort of jabs thrown across the way. Like, how how can people trust that it's not, you know, ju just going with what, what the church would be? I think that's the hardest thing because the people that aren't members of the church likely have had interactions, positive and negative, with the church. Uh, and could have even been themselves a member at one time since left the church and just feel like, well, of course they're going to do this. They wouldn't actually look at this in a, in a, you know, analytical way or think about how they could preserve my community. But the church says, you do this or I'm taking away your this. Like it, 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 
you can yeah, so, at least understand where the suspicion comes from. How, how do people trust it? Yeah, so I, I think that's definitely a credible concern. It's one that we have heard multiple times throughout this process and one that I was cognizant of from that very first Friday when I got this call. So I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I was very aware that um, because of that, the bar was raised. You know, this isn't just any project. It's a project that has to be above scrutiny because I'm going to get that accusation that I'm biased and I'm going to somehow put my thumb on the scale and make sure that this goes through regardless of what the public thinks or what regardless of elected officials think. And that is not the reality. And I have said time and time again, myself, my staff, our elected officials, at no point has anyone been pressured or challenged or threatened to make sure that, oh, you approve this or we're going to pull your tempo recommend or we're going to withdraw membership benefits or other things like that. To the contrary, we have tried to be as transparent as possible to try and get people uh, engaged. We, we do as much as we can in public meetings where it's appropriate. A lot of this work is technical. Um, it's typically done just by administrative staff, not done through public meetings. And um, But we publish the results of those efforts. So I have staff and board members that are members and staff and board members that are not members. And I think all of them feel very comfortable that we have done our due diligence in this process. I mean, it's honestly, it's it's been over a year. We have spent a lot of time and a lot of effort to make sure that we're 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 following that process. I was asked on Tuesday whether my covenants represented a conflict of interest in this in this uh, project in a public um, meeting. Tell me about that. Uh, no, when... so this was a news interview, okay. um, and so a, a news reporter asked me live on the radio. Okay. You know, um, <laughs> does this represent a conflict of interest? And I I told her that I have never felt pressured to compromise my professional ethics in this project, and honestly, the most uh, important thing for me, whether I was a member or not, is to make sure that this process was handled objectively. And um, like I said, I, the bar is raised. We, we, I knew that we would have these kinds of conflicts, but there's really no need. I'm not the decision maker in this process. We do a technical job, and it's very objective for you to be able to say, did we check X, Y, or Z? Mm -hmm. And I can say with confidence, um, we have done our homework. We had a five-hour meeting last night, three of, three of which were presentations about all of the technical details and aspects of this project, all of the consultants that we've brought on board, all of the discussions that we've had, um, all of the concerns that have been raised and how we've tried to address those things. And I can say with confidence from a technical standpoint, we have dotted all of our I's, crossed all of our T's, and I have no reservation saying, even if you thought I was biased, point to something I did wrong. Um, and I, I think that would be an impossible task. Well, and I uh, think why it's so laborious as far as some of this goes is that you are also educating an enraged public who has no idea how this goes, but they just feel. <laughs> Point to me where I did this. Well, I don't know, but I feel like you're you're doing this thing. And so long as my feelings drive this thing. And so in, in an abundance, you have to be like, here is what the law says. Here is what how we observed the law. Here is, you know, and 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 on and on and on. And that's why it probably not only time-wise, um, but in these particular meetings, why it has to be so long is it's bringing everyone so they know even what the heck you're talking about. Yeah, and we, we kind of touched on that before, that a lot of people, they don't typically engage in uh, land use decisions like this until very late in the process. And they don't appreciate that... Um, 
a lot of the decisions have already been made. Um, every community, especially in Utah, but in other places, they have what's here called a general plan. It's a high level policy document. That's where like the, the overarching priorities are set. And then you adopt land use code, which are implementing those things. And then you have projects at the very end. And, and really those, those first two steps are kind of the most important ones, but also the least glamorous. You know, people don't like to think about things in abstract. They think about, oh, I do want a Walmart there. I don't want a Walmart there. I do want a temple or don't want a temple. And by that time, we've already done our homework. We've already set out those priorities. And then we're just evaluating, does this match those priorities? And um, the answer is yes, in this case. You know, uh, as I as we're sort of talking about Heber and its sort of uh, ruralness uh, and how this will be a, a significant project for the valley, uh, people that are unfamiliar, it is a valley, mountains on all the sides, and, and hundred thousand people maybe in the valley now with all the no, people not that, well, we're 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 a third of that. So okay, oh okay, I thought it was. Maybe that's projected what I heard. Anyway, so yeah. not not large, but I, I compare it to um, St. George of yesteryear in that you have at the very city center of St. George, a ginormous temple now restored, renovated and, you know, be in grand opening, open house and all that stuff right now. Uh, but it is very much the pinnacle of that community. And people look to that. And if you are on team, I love temples and the church, there is not a more gorgeous edifice in that valley, a significance of the covenants that it is, because you are centered around that. And so to those people who feel so passionate about that, they're like, could there be a greater thing? Answer, no. But, yeah, then, yeah. but then you go to adding that, you know, after the fact, in a place like Heber Valley, those people also, but also to say, you know what, hey, uh, it's a hundred and you know twenty five. Well, let me think about this. One hundred and fifty years later than that temple, times are different, and the code said, and, and this is so we're doing this. Yeah, yeah, you know, and we got literally hundreds, if not thousands, of comments about this project. Um, it's been a year. Um, we had one council member say that he's read over two thousand emails mm. um, about this. There's overwhelming positive support. Um, there is a pretty hefty number of those comments that are people who had raised concerns. I think a lot of those concerns ended up being about those technical aspects that we were able to address from a technical perspective. But ultimately, the agreement kind of, uh, or the disagreement, I should say, um, levied on, balanced on whether or not this is a, a legislative priority. And there's an overwhelming, I think, um, sense of this is in the public's best interest. This is in you know, for the for the general benefit of the community. Some people feel like, well, because I'm in the community and I, it's not in my personal benefit, um, that means that you should not approve it, right? Yeah. That that there's kind of a sense of like, uh, um, we should have a veto over this decision. When in reality, the council represents the whole community. You know, we have five districts and two at-large council members, and they're trying to strike a balance of, what does the community as a whole consider a benefit to themselves? And I know the council members, members and non-members alike take that role really seriously of, is this in the best interest? Is this for the general welfare? And they voted unanimously last night to say, yes, this was in the general welfare of the community. Um, and, and like I said, that was members and non-members alike. <laughs>
Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. BestDJinUtah.com. You're right. It's a new ad. What? Well, it's been an entire season since I've recorded a BestDJinUtah.com ad. And well, the wedding season coming to an end at this point, but not really because what happens now is everyone who's going to get married in 2024 reaches out and says, Richie, is it possible? Do you still have this date? And I tell them, yes, hopefully. And then we get you booked. We'd love to be able to work with you. Uh, travel all along the Intermountain West. Some people call it the Jello Belt. Uh, you can go to bestdjinutah.com to request a quote. You can find us on any of the social medias at bestdjinutah. And uh, we can answer any questions. Affordable, yes. Over 400 five-star reviews, yes. Highest rated in the state of Utah. Uh-huh, go on. It's best djinutah.com and I'll, and I'll give you a little hint it, it also helps me to be able to do this like financially support the cultural hall through that and you get something in return Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop and they start at only $29 a month and it comes with a lifetime warranty. Just check us out at pclaptops.com. That's pclaptops.com. So as we uh, are talking about this, the day after the board uh, has said, yep, we're doing it on board. Let's go. Um, I know that that means that the suit that was uh, issued by Dark Skies, that's essentially dead and null. Um, are, are there other roadblocks that are, are foreseen that are that could be coming to this, or is this just like, guys, we all did our best and we came to a, a collective, and now let's do this? Yeah, I think one of the council members um, said it well last night when he before he voted. He said that he would like to move this project forward so we can begin the healing process, mm -hmm. right? Because there are people who are concerned and, and sure. will continue to be concerned about it. Um, there are uh, things that if people wanted to, they probably could try like, like a referendum might be an option. That's where they would gather enough signatures and that could to potentially make a decision like this subject to a popular vote. People would be able to vote yes or no at a ballot box. Um, I think there's an outside chance of that, you know, less, less likely than not. Um, what's more likely is there, we might be legally challenged. We did get letters from two different law firms asserting that they thought our, our approval process um, would be legally challenged by their firms. Hmm. So that's that's a possibility. What that would have to do, though, in order to actually affect the project is they would have to bring a suit to a court and have a judge issue an injunction saying, hey, you can't act on this because it's under legal review. Hmm. It's a relatively high standard um, to meet and one that, while it's possible, again, I think it's maybe a little bit unlikely. So from the original suggestion, Church says, hey, here's our plans to where we're at today, board meeting has happened and we're going forward. What what changed or did anything change? Yeah, I mean, uh, there is a there was a lot of work to do. So when they first reached out to our staff, um, you know, there were, there are some complexities. Um, 
some of the things that we had to work out or um, what does access to the site look like? You know, these are all like the technical, like not, like I said, not very glamorous details, but sure. you know, they had to do a traffic study and they found that they needed to install a roundabout. So that was part of the project at the end of the day. Um, the original request, so like I said, we revised our lighting code. The church actually submitted a code amendment to do that. That's where we changed what our code says. And um, what they submitted is not what we adopted. Um, we we hired our own consultant and adopted very different standards that were much dimmer than what was originally requested. And that's why last night the church shared through their architects that um, this temple has an innovative lighting approach. And I would frame it as this is going to be probably the most, if or one of the most, if not the most dark sky compliant temples in all of North America. Hmm. Um, hmm. And so their their innovative lighting approach is that they're they're highlighting architectural features instead of doing more blanket lighting. Um, and so I'm really proud that this community, our lighting standards are such that we're going to have, I think, an unprecedented temple that will still be beautiful, but matches our community's values. So those are some of the things that have changed. A lot of the other stuff is just technical of where do the trails go and what does the infrastructure look like and how do you handle sewer and water and wastewater and those kinds of things. Are, uh, are, is there going to be any education piece added to teach Utah drivers how to do roundabouts? Because I feel like there should be some money in a budget to go, this is how you do this and you're doing it wrong. <laughs> there, There is a lot of concern from some people about the benefits of roundabouts. The reality is they're much safer from a traffic standpoint. So I hope that as they become more common, people can appreciate it's, it's just kind of a better way to do handle those types of intersections. Sure, but Dustin, so. as a Utah driver, you know what I'm talking about, how whenever you engage a roundabout, you go, no, no, what are you, what, why, why, I, what? I, I know more than most. I served a mission in England, and so <laughs> I, I learned to drive. Now, I, I was going the other way around about, but um, yeah, I, I like roundabouts, part probably because of that, yeah. um, but... No, you're right. They're, they can be challenges for some people. See, it wouldn't be a biased uh, or it wouldn't be an unbiased thing. You brought your English bias to the roundabout by the temple. I see. That's I right. See. Yep. And you I totally put my thumb it. on that scale, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, uh, is, it, is it in the back of my mind or am I uh, mixing temple um, discrepancies? Was there a height adjustment with the building in the Heber Valley Temple? Um, so there wasn't a change. There were requests for changes, and, and a lot of that focused around um, the Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, lighting standards. Mm -hmm. So that was something that's been kind of a saga of how bright and what lighting is required because this is in the a flight approach path. When someone's coming to land at the airport here in Heber, mm -hmm. um, they will have to fly right over the temple. And so what the standards the FAA would require was a big question mark when this project first started out. Um, at one point, we thought that there was going to have to be uh, lighting far in excess of our county code that would be required on this temple because of that. But what we have approved as of last night is a single red beacon that will be on the west spire, which is the taller of the two. Mm -hmm. um, and and so that's that single red beacon is constant light and there's no extra light necessary to do it. And I think we all feel really good that we ended up there instead of you know uh, somewhere that maybe didn't match quite as well the aesthetics that we're going for. I uh, I don't believe I've said this publicly before, but I was, uh, you know, the change in the temples for the church in that we don't put Moroni's on temples anymore 
Uh, I, I, w- I was disappointed that Hebrew Valley not going to have a Moroni temple and s- several true. hundred others, right? Uh, but I, w- I was upset because once I heard that we were going to have to have that aviation light, I really liked the idea of having the red be like a mute in the trumpet of Moroni. <laughs> just on and, the end of yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> just on the end. And it's like, I wonder what that sounds like. We're playing jazz over at the uh, at the Hebrew Valley temple. It's just going to be on the top of a spire. So uh that that's interesting to note that that's part of it as well. Any other kind of things that uh, either were things that were let go of, things that were were pushed that there will still just be you know bucket loads of people that are upset about, or 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 are we hopefully at that point where it's just let's push this thing through and and get to the dedication. Yeah, so um, there were some concerns about on the very uh, the east side of the property, there is kind of an outbuilding for utility services and other things like that, which is a, immediately adjacent to the backs of some of the residences. Mm. And so there were some concessions made around um, the types of walls that they would put up, the height of the building was lowered, they made some adjustments and and. Um, we actually required them to do a study, an audio study, where they measured what the decibel levels of the equipment would be at certain points and found that at the property line where the boundary between the church's property and these residents, that it's going to be about the same as like a a, a normal home sound mm. that would a normal home would generate. Mm. I like the idea of service vehicles having like a cave that kind of rises from the ground there. That it's would be not, pretty cool. Apparently it's not going to happen, but that was sort of my wish. Um, and five hour meeting aside from being exhausted is the feeling in the community like or yeah i'm i'm sure if you're you know not a fan of the project i doubt it was very relieving but i know from a staff perspective the uncertainty is over right mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. um we're we're proceeding forward now and it's a purely administrative process they'll they'll start to work with our staff on pulling permits to be able to begin the construction um, there is a few procedural steps before that. I've got to sign some documents and other things like that that we got to work out. Um, but but it's all go from here. And, mm. and I think there's a big sigh of relief of we have had multiple very large public meetings. You know, this isn't the only five hour meeting we've had on this. We oh, had I know. two on the lighting and two on this one. And um, so I think we're glad to have those things behind us. Um, I think it's regrettable that it became as divisive as it did. Um, and I don't blame people for having concerns about they thought, you know, they were going to have houses in this spot and they're upset that it's not houses. But those types of concerns are something that communities like ours deal with all the time. You know, when when a store moves in or a, a, a apartment building goes in, people raise those concerns and um, they're valid. They They have a right to share those concerns. But at the end of the day, the county council has to make a decision of, whether those concerns outweigh the legal rights and the other standards and the priorities of the community. Uh, I've been thinking of a way that I could ask this question that you could actually answer it. So let's see if I am able to to ask it this way. Were there concerns by residents um, that you did not see coming um, based in non-lighting or other kind of issues that when you heard that you were like, that is a unique uh, concern that you could share one or two of those? There was one that sticks out in my mind that someone had emailed and raised concerns that um, we had not sufficiently required checks for endangered species on this site. Um, and it's it, it was previously a farm field. 
um, you know, it was active agricultural land and I was not expecting that to try to be used as a method for us to deny um, the project. I think those those types of concerns do get raised and there, I can think of a state park right now that is dealing with a endangered bird species issue. So it, it does happen, it just doesn't happen in places like this typically, so. Mm -hmm. And, and valid, right? We don't want to downplay, but it is definitely one of those things where it's like, what? what? And I'll say that. You didn't say that. I said, there you go. <laughs> what? 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 Uh, as we sort of wrap this thing out, I would be curious to ask you uh, if you have followed any of the Cody Wyoming because you're like, hey, yeah, we're right there along with you, Cody. Um, I guess I'll start there. Have you been following that scenario and saga as well? Yeah, yeah, I have um, even just because I've been asked my opinion on those things because of the parallels with our process. Now, I will say uh, I think there are not very many parallels. Um, they're, they're kind of pretty different circumstances and different parts of the process and different issues that were raised. So, hmm. uh, And then uh, do, you, do you foresee in your very, this is your opinion and uh, not your professional whatever, do you see... Um, uh, change on behalf of the church within Cody. I know that it, it at one point they said, Hey, it's settled and moving. And then now there's other lawsuits. Do you, do you think that those that are um, protesting that temple there have different legs to stand on than the people that were protesting the things there in, in Hebrew Valley? You know, um, this is something I was hoping we we're going to get into is there are federal laws that are intended to protect religious institutions who are seeking land use approvals. Mm -hmm. And that federal law is called the religious, uh, uh, RELUPA, uh, religious land use and institutionalized persons act. And what it does is it federally protects, um, religious institutions from building buildings in a way that, um, ensures that they can practice their faith. Um, that was a, a factor of consideration for us only to the extent that um, the method that we used was intended to confirm and verify that both the church as an applicant and the county as a land use authority agreed on all of the standards of, well, what should the lighting level be? And we both agree this is what the lighting level should be. That was the development agreement that we went through to approve it. So that's one of the ways in which it's not similar to the Cody, uh, Wyoming area in that we have we worked out in advance what those sticking points would be mm -hmm. and and agree, mutually agreed on what the standards would be that the county council was considering last night. Um, but I would say in Cody, Wyoming, there is probably a difference in that um, a lot of people might argue well, you don't need a steeple at all, right? Like that's not, that's not a, that's well, I mean, it's not, an it's not an argument. I mean, uh, that's a, that's been a thing to me that, uh, you know, absence of all the laws and stuff like that, where I just, uh, uh, at some point I just want to pause and be like, Jesus doesn't care if it's lit guys. Like if we, if we can take this as a moment and just be like, if, if we really want to gain perspective on this, I'm pretty sure he's not like, is that 50 feet or 100 feet? Or is that 5,000 lumens or 2,000 lumens? Like we're a little bit missing the point. I know that's oversimplified. Yeah, but I think you're right to an extent that like, I, I, I don't know that there is some kind of objective height limit of like, if it's not this tall, it doesn't qualify as a temple, right? Right. Um, but at the same time, the purpose of the architectural design of a temple 
is religious in nature, mm-hmm. right? And that's when you get into shaky ground of, um, you know, some of the criticisms that were levied against the Hebrew Valley Temple were it's too big, right? 88,000 square feet. Why aren't you building a 30,000 square foot temple like you are over here? Um, that is the exact type of argument that I think that RELUPA law was passed to preempt because that has a direct impact on the capacity of any religious facility and their ability to operate, right? So can you imagine if instead this wasn't an LDS temple, but was instead a Jewish synagogue or a Muslim mosque? And we said, you know, that's too big. We don't think you should make it that big. I think that would be us imposing uh, or, or, or limiting the ability of that faith to exercise um, their religion within the confines of that structure. Hmm. So to the same degree, the size, the shape, and and they have explicitly argued that even the lighting itself has religious significance. And so while you could try to get into a lawsuit and say, what is the lumen count that is religious or not religious? We did not want to end up in a lawsuit over this. We rather would decide to mutually agree. And the church conceded, and they, they agreed to lower that level and we didn't risk any lawsuit. And I think this is exemplary of a good land use process in that we reached an agreement. Legislative body felt like we had reached a good level. The applicant, even though they lowered that level, we reached, reached a good uh, compromise. And I think it's one that matches the community. Hmm. So pretty proud of it, it sounds like, as you as you walk, your, you walk away from the five-hour meeting of this and say... No, we're not there yet, but <laughs> it's, it's, are, it's a one step closer. It's a three year build, right? Mm-hmm. So we're we're looking at 2026 is when um, the project will be done for my staff. What I am most proud of uh, is having worked with really amazing staff members. You know, I have a planning director who has lost a lot of sleep over the last year sure. and he has worked tirelessly because um, I know he feels the same pressure as I do of making sure that we are objective, we are doing our jobs, and we have been very thorough through this process. So it's a privilege really to work with people who are so competent. And that's part of what I think happened last night is we had three hours of presentations, two and a half, something like that. Um, But our staff did such a good job laying out the issues, trying to address those concerns that the county council was very comfortable proceeding when others might not have been. They might have felt, hey, we got to work out some more of these details. But we had done our homework. We had tried to explain in enough detail that anyone could ex- understand why some of the concerns they were raising were not issues. Right. And I and I love that part of it, too, where you can go, well, I don't like it, but I understand. I, I get where we're at. I, it is now, you know, th- these things have been presented to me in a way that I'm allowed to not like it. I'm allowed yeah. to look at it and go, that, that we should have never done that. But that I can respect that it's like, man, but I mean, there's lots of things. <laughs> yeah. Some, sometimes the best I can aim for is, uh, you know, uh, people not, not being too mad about something. Sure. Sure. So. And I think about another building project up there in Wasatch County that looks like it's going to have 20,000 rooms in it. And I go, what are we doing here? 
what what is this? And I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. And to everyone who isn't in the state of Utah or even knows what I'm talking about, goes, huh, I'll send a picture. Uh, I look forward to your invitation to the groundbreaking. I don't know if you need my physical address or my uh, just email. You can send me that. I'll be your plus one for that. I look sure, forward to Sure, sure. You know, you should just send that to the prophet and see. Oh, you know, oh, he'll, he'll, he'll get you one. I'll CC him. Uh, yeah. But I just want to make sure that you have it as well. Because okay. I don't think I he has time that. to invite me and... And we all know it'll probably be Elder Uchtdorf that will do the groundbreaking because he has a second home up there. Um, and then, uh, so so is there anything, all the rest is just sort of paperwork and, and groundbreakings and those things. There's not anything that, as you see it, monumental as you look into the rest of this project? No, and I think that's another difference with Cody, Wyoming, is after they had granted an approval, there was an attempt to withhold the building permit. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not something I think we'll deal with here. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the idea of, and I haven't seen the picture. So if anyone listening to this lives in the Cody, Wyoming area, I would love it. Contact at the culturalhall.com is also an email you can send that uh, invitation to the groundbreaking too, Dustin. But okay. um, there, there are parts and pieces of the Cody, Wyoming temple on property because that's one of the... Um, you know, I call them Lego temples that the church is building mm. where it's prefabbed and they kind of put it together on site. There are those pieces just waiting there. And I, and I just sort of think of it like the arch that the 2002 Olympics had there are just, it's going to start to be a boneyard of, well, we wanted to put this together. Here are all the pieces. Let's put them on a truck and get them out of here. Uh, I appreciate your time. If people want to learn more uh, either about uh, the planning stuff or, or this whole process, is there somewhere that sort of documented the steps as it's gone along the way people could follow? Yeah, we actually record and publish all of our public meetings. Um, so our website is wasatch.utah.gov. Mm-hmm. And um, you can you can go there, look at the, all of those meetings in the past. You can look at the meeting last night. It should be published about t- now today. Um, but there are also a number of news articles and radio uh, interviews and other things like that that um, are out there. So, well, I'm uh, I'm grateful that uh, you and the other an individual can have a good night's rest. I hope you guys. Uh... With the money that the lobbyists from the church paid you to be able to make this happen. I'm just I'm, I'm totally joking. But you know, you know, even with all of the T's and I's and all the things, there will still be those people that are like, yeah, I don't know how they did it. Maybe it's not on the record, but they were able to get away with it. Um, we Is there anything that I haven't, we haven't discussed that you're like, man, we got to talk about this before our time is done? No, I, I really appreciate the time. Of course, Dustin, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you are not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.